You're listening to Mastering Retention, presented by UserWise. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. Today, we're super excited to have Fazi Mesmar, who also happens to be the 2020 Dev Hero of the World for the category of design. So for everyone listening, I feel like take it all in because we're we're sitting with a master today. Fazi, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, thank you very much for uh, for this introduction. Quite, quite humbling, really. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, my name is, is, is Fauzi. I am a, I am a game designer. Been a game designer for the past seventeen years. Started my career in uh, Jordan, and um, uh, games have moved me around the world. So I've worked in a whole bunch of other countries since then. I am now, I've now landed in Stockholm, Sweden. I am head of design at uh, at the Dice Studio, looking after the Battlefield franchise. That's fantastic. So, what does a you know head of studio do in his free time? What kind of hobbies do you do? <laughs> um, so, um, definitely a lot of gaming. So um, you got to keep the passion alive, right? So, like, I always oh yeah. Play- I try to play every major release that comes out every year because like I found out that uh, every time I play games, it reminds me why I got into this business to begin with, right? It's kind of like wakes mm. up to me and all of this. Um, so definitely play a lot of games, loads of games all the time. Uh, play a bunch of sports. I like to play basketball. I like to play squash. Nice. Uh, I like skating, so I like like to cruise around when the weather allows for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, but, but I'm in uh, every nerdy stuff, really. I like miniature painting. I like board games. Uh, <laughs> I'm into comics, uh, all sorts of comic books and stuff like that. Into that, reading. I do a bunch of writing myself. Uh, yeah. Wow. I I feel inspired to pick up a few hobbies. I feel humbled. <laughs> but I play pick- some music as well. So I like, I like a, <laughs> there's always a guitar nearby between meetings. So I can fiddle around with it for a couple. <laughs> Ah, yeah, I love it. So, what's your what's your current game that you're playing? Uh, I'm playing um, Ghost of Tsushima, so I want to 100% that game on PlayStation Four. Mm. Fantastic game, fantastic game, love it. And I'm playing uh, Genshin Impact uh, on mobile mostly. Ah. Uh, though it's uh, it's, uh, it's crossplay, so I can play it on PC as well. But like uh, I have. Uh, have a, a controller that I use on my mobile phone and like I sit down and play a bit of Genshin Impact. Uh, <laughs> it, looks, it reminds me a lot of um, uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorite games. So, yeah. So pretty good to kind of revisit that place again in some way. <laughs> so by the time this comes out or shortly thereafter, I'm actually uh, working with a, a couple folks over at Mastering the Meta and Deconstructor of Fun. We're actually doing a deconstruction of Genshin Impact. So uh, it's my first uh, deconstruction article that I'm being an author of. So it's pretty fun. But yeah, I, I'd love your your take on Genshin Impact. Like what encourages you to play it? Is it just that uh, reminiscence of Breath of the Wild or are there other things? That, that was what drew me in to begin with. So first of all, shout out to all those guys that really good people to make sure to pass them my regard when you guys talk about it. I, I've always uh, thought, like, especially when it comes to like mobile gaming in general, but like a lot of gaming trends kind of like start in Asia first and then kind of make their way to the uh, to the West. And um, this is like one of like the the, the first wave of uh, a new new generation of developers coming in from Asia. 
right? Mm. Like coming from a place that we never played games from before in like uh, mass market in the same way. And um, the speed in which um, um, those guys are developing games is very inspiring for me <laughs> right now. And they've been pioneering a lot of ways in which like they'd be able to run games as a live service. Um, so like a lot of like the bigger games that like impacted the mobile and AAA at the same time came now from uh, from mm-hmm. companies that are operating in Asia, mostly yep. and then operating in uh, like an Asian style games for like you know games that uh, have Western market appeal and they've like knocked it out of the park, uh, <laughs> like dominating both PC and mobile at the same time. And um, I've been a fan of like mobile based MMOs like I'm playing a Korean MMOs for a while on my mobile. <laughs> quite a bit there's a lot to uh, to pick up from there. there's also like a good office game because the game can't play itself for <laughs> for the <minute. laughs> and uh, there's something going on, on your phone as you were like you know doing the, the work stuff so this is like a more active uh big triple a quality game almost that is running across devices and um it's it's worth keeping an eye on i, I do think that um you know as with every other form of entertainment it's uh, it's convergence is uh, where we eventually need to head, right? Mm-hmm. I want to be able to enjoy the stuff I want to enjoy, regardless of the means of how I enjoy them. Yeah. And uh, you and I were having a conversation even before we started the podcast, like where can I get this game or where can I run this game? I have an upgrade <laughs> hardware and all of this stuff, and like eventually, like we need to move towards a future that allows us to play whatever we want, wherever we want, and. Um, uh, that seems to be the direction, right? The games are running both on mobile and console at the same time, and uh, yeah. it's been working well for shooters and uh, battle royale. And uh, now it seems that there's promise for other genres with Genshin Impact. So, yeah, it's super interesting to see. I think one of the things I was most stunned with is like how they managed to build that big of a game and have that big of a launch with such a small marketing budget. All things considered, I was like just kind of blown away with it. It took me ten uh, six years to build Breath of the Wild. Uh, I guess more like 10 to build it or something, but I mean, they, you know, in in some ways they were figuring out like the new mechanics and stuff like that too, but just the ability to churn out that amount of content and Genshin and in just a few years is blows my mind. Remarkable, right? And then like uh, the the speed of development uh, in in Asian markets and in China has been always been fascinating on like smaller scale games. And now they're, you know, like hitting the big shelf. (laughs) And like, you know, bigger games that go like, they're still like developing it on a like impressive uh, speed. Mm -hmm. And now they have the local market to kind of like support it. In a way that you know, like um, they can hit big in Asia, but also they can hit big now globally. So it's uh, it's a wild new frontier. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. So um, switching gears a little bit and thinking about your background, you know, in in game design and stuff, I I did notice uh, that you got your undergrad in computer science. Actually, Mm -hmm. how would you say that's positively or negatively affected your career in games? Like, would you recommend a CS route for aspiring game designers or something else? <laughs> so like when I, like I, I always knew I wanted to make games. I always, like since I was four or something. And I always knew, like, and I figured out what game design is maybe in junior high, but I never really understood how people make games. Like, especially when I grew up in the Middle East, like it's not really, um, a, a, let's say a popular career path to say <laughs> Um, so like I didn't have like people to ask about what I should do to make games, but at the time, um, all the big games were like they're 
probably you need the computer to make them. <laughs> and they're all like Japanese company that makes them. So I was like, I probably need to learn Japanese as well. So I was like, all right, I'm going to learn, <laughs> learn Japanese. And uh, between those two, probably figure out how to make games. Um, so I just picked it because it was like the, the, the only logical thing for me at the time to, to connect to making games. Like, well, I'm going to need to work on a computer to make a game. And therefore, maybe I need to understand computers more. So I ended up studying computer science. Um, <laughs> Does it help? I say absolutely. Um, uh, working in uh, like understanding programming concept and like logic, I think allows you to become a better designer just because um, you start thinking in modules, you start thinking in, uh, in blocks rather than abstract ideas. So like uh, while you might initially like start with coming up with, you know, creating the world and the story and whatnot, the minute you know a bit of programming, you start to put a logic to them. You go like, all right, so like in order for this fantasy to become a reality, it's going to consist of these blocks. And I'm going to reuse this block, but change the skin on it in like 15 times. And I will create that <laughs> of these things happening and stuff like that. So like having that, um, that logical understanding of like how these blocks work. And like from a code perspective, this is technically the same as this other thing, but with a different uh, representation, uh, really strengthen your chops as a designer. And also eventually like when you start making games, um, somebody needs to code these games and you're probably gonna need to communicate with that person. Whether you're the person that's coding them uh, yourself, or like you know you're partnering with other programmers, um, you need to understand what you're asking of them, to some extent, to, to realize well, where they're coming from, and that yeah. uh, that does like really help me out. So like I've uh, I've always been interested in art, so I like used to do art as a hobby, and I studied computer science. So as a designer, I've always managed to be able to communicate with both, because mm. while I'm not great at either. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, not, not by a landslide, but at least I know where they're coming from. So like I can understand what they're going through. Or like what, uh, uh, like when they explain the process, I understand uh, yeah. what needs to be done. And therefore I can adjust my designs to get the team to work together rather than like, this is my vision and you guys need to figure <laughs> it out. <laughs> um, it becomes more of a team sport. And the other thing is that um, if you're like one of those people who are kind of unsure, like I think I want games, but I'm unsure about that. Uh, a computer science degree is a really comfortable one to fall back on. Uh, <laughs> it's one of like the most uh, in-demand jobs in the world. So like if you're, a, you're an okay-ish programmer, you can pretty much find work anywhere. <laughs> um, so if you like, if you if you decide at some point that this game thing is not for me, man, then you, know, you can definitely. Uh, <laughs> go programming, earn more money, and <laughs> and um, find a career waiting there for you. Ah, I love it. That's great advice. Yeah, I feel like the more you know about other people's workflows on your team, the better you can just orient and make decisions. Like I know for me, yeah, I would say I'm very middle of the pack in terms of my programming skills, but I at least understand the concept. So if I come up with a new idea, I can frame it of how I might approach it or how I can think about it, or I can at least tell an idea that's going to take five minutes to do versus, you know, four weeks to implement. And so you can tailor it appropriately. Absolutely. Um, you know, sticking on the, the theme of education, it looks like, are you, are you currently in an MBA program right now, right? Yeah, yes, I am. Yeah. Tell us more like what prompted uh, deciding to, to get an MBA and, and what's your experience been like? Huh. Oh, 
It's, uh, it's interesting thing is like um, uh, when I worked in Japan for a while, I did some double duties as both like um, I was a you know creative director at the studio, but mm-hmm. I also like wanted my help to kind of like take the games that were developing in Japan and publish them overseas, and then mm-hmm. find interesting games overseas and bring them to Japan. So in in some extent, I was like doing business development sometimes. Like you know, you're one of the few people who speak English, so we're going to send you over to GDC. <laughs> you know, try to try to sell people on our games and stuff like that. So I practically fell into doing business development, and um, um, it opened my eyes to like an entirely different world than I knew existed. Like when I start talking, up, you know, to people and like uh, what kind of games they're interested in, like they talk about genres, they talk about uh, how much these genres make in money. And like, there's a lot of figures and data and market research and all of the stuff that's going, you know, behind the curtains where like I was mostly in the product development, uh, the entire part. So just making sure that we're just making cool games. And um, somebody else was worrying about the business part of the thing. And then like, you know, like started considering that is that um, in a lot of game development companies, these are the people that make the business decisions are not the people that know how games are being made. Mm-hmm. And there's often like in some interesting discussions between us. We go like, they're asking for some really weird stuff. And we're like, we can't, under- like it's two different worlds that uh, really don't understand each other. And then um, I started to think also about like the people that uh, really inspire me in the industry. And like the late Satoru Iwata was like uh, uh, somebody that uh, really uh, did inspire me and still does inspire me even after he's gone. And he's, you know, he was a guy that, you know, came from development. He made games. He knew exactly what the games were all about. And then like he led, um, you know, one of the biggest gaming companies, uh, probably one of the most impactful gaming companies in history, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Well, like, you know, shepherd them through some really interesting times. Um, and he managed to make that balance. Um, another person that really inspires me as well is Phil Spencer, right? Because he's uh, mm. he's a game dev at heart. He loves games. He plays games a lot. And when you, you talk to him or you're like, you know, you see interviews with him, the guy really knows his stuff. Yep. And also, like, you know, he's been managing to, um, the Xbox division in some really inspiring ways that's very consumer focused and uh, um uh, really innovative in his way of thinking. So mm-hmm. I was thinking like, you know, like I got the, I've been focusing my entire career mostly on uh, development stuff and I'm mostly moving more towards more strategic and management roles in my, in my field. And I was like, I want to be more like my heroes, yeah. Just like, you know, be able to balance more between business and development. And uh, yeah, I just like, I want more people like Iwata Mm-hmm. Uh, gaming companies around the world. So, like, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm even close to be compared to him <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. He was a genuinely great man, but I would love to follow in his footsteps. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. It, it almost seems like you're looking to, you know, similar to how you're able to bridge the the computer science, you know, development side of things to your design. You're now taking products to the business goals overall at a, at a higher level, which I think could be amazing. You know, the, the better you understand how all the pieces work together, I think the better you can vet and make, you know, decisions and, and strategic, you know, planning. I mean, when, I, when I was meeting that, um, you know, in, uh, in, when I stumbled into uh, BizDev and I would like, you know, as a publisher meet with developers over there and they're telling me about where they are in their game and they're showing me their game and stuff. Um, I can quickly, like, um, I, I completely relate to what they're doing because I'm a developer myself. <laughs> and for them, that was a bit of a surprise. That's something that they're not used to. Like, oh, he speaks, he knows <laughs> about kind of thing. So it was interesting for them to speak to somebody who was on both sides of the table. Yeah. 
And uh, that was also one of the moments we went to like, oh, you know, like having business understanding can really help people out and um, allow me to be more effective at my job, perhaps. Yeah, I love it. That's fantastic. All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about lessons learned over uh, your long, amazing career. Um, maybe, you know, switch back to, so you were working at King for a while and kind of overseeing the the Candy Crush franchise, right? Uh, what are a few lessons that you learned from your time working there? Uh, the, the, there's so much that I've learned that uh, King is such a wonderful place to work. I was overlooking at the, the design and production at the company and like looking over the, the Candy Crush franchise. Um, I've, I've just learned like how incredibly important if we're making games to kind of like realize how they are incorporated in people's lives, how they're how they're being consumed, what they're doing when they're when they're playing them, like getting to really understand our audience of the people that they play the game and uh, uh, allow us to be better designers. So like um, at King, uh, a lot of the um, uh, like what you would say a typical Candy Crush player. Um, would not be myself, though I enjoyed the game quite a bit, but the target persona is definitely not, you know, your uh, your typical first-person shooter, hardcore gamer uh, <laughs> type person. But, uh, you know, like myself and a lot of the people on that team uh, were not that, that, uh, that person. And I've learned in that company really well to... how to design a game that uh, for, uh, for this target demographic not not for yourself how to how to uh, utilize your design knowledge in designing really cool products that mass audience can enjoy like um, uh, one of the most rewarding things working at king is that like on every day I, on my commute i could see people play the games i'm working on which is fantastic uh, but it also like opens up to like the wide range of like how many people are enjoying this and like the, the responsibility uh, that we have and to make sure that whatever design decisions we're making applies to i don't know three billion people or something and that's like a totally different way of designing right to like you're usually making a game to people that you know uh, mm-hmm. really well or like that's very targeted towards like oh, those are the people that enjoy these kinds of games and these are kinds of games I really enjoy myself so I'll be able to make a lot of design decisions on them but it's like um, when you're making a design decision on a game that's you know played by virtually everyone it um, it uh, it widens up the design process quite a bit it poses some really interesting challenges uh, one of the interesting things I also loved at my time at King is that when we were designing stuff we're, uh, we're designing for everybody, so it needs to be casual. So that means that even if we have some complex concepts, everybody needs to understand that. And that's a really, really tricky challenge. <laughs> even though like um, uh, some of the game uh, design might be perceived as simple, like, like what's well, a match three game, like some people would say, uh, the amount of uh, care and decision-making that goes into the, even the most minute details to make sure that it's a game that can be picked up and can be mass market is uh, monumental. So like um, the, the, that amount of challenge will grow any designer, I find. Yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, experience for sure. Yeah. So do you have an example of something? So, you know, you mentioned getting to know your players and understanding how they use the game within the context of their lives. Mm-hmm. How, like, what was an insight that you maybe gained and like, how did that change or like lead into a new feature or, or something else that actually, uh, 
led to an improvement. So like, you know, one of the simplest things is like when you design casual games in general, well, definitely applied to Candy Crush as well as others, is like when you realize that a percentage of your users are usually playing the game while they're waiting for something. So let's say uh, they have two types of sessions. They're either playing while they're waiting for a bus or something like that, or um, you know they're playing uh, at the end of the day to unwind. Then you're designing a gameplay experience that can be enjoyed either in two minutes or in an hour. And then that stretches your design challenge to go like, all right, so how can I make something enjoyable for two minutes just as much as it's <laughs> enjoyable also for an hour? Mm. That poses a design challenge, right? And then, then then you start to solve it by proposing designs, testing them, seeing if that works, iterate until you hit that uh, sweet spot. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I love it. So thinking about, you know, games yourself, you know, it, it seems like you really enjoy the kind of the shooter type games, a little more hardcore, right? Um, not, not only, but... Uh, not, not only, yeah, yeah. Um, if you could create a game in any genre of your choice, what game would it be? If you uh-huh. had unlimited resources and access and you could make whatever, what, what would it be? I'll answer this question in, in two ways. If it is, uh, 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 maybe an answer uh, with a question first. Is it a game that uh, I want to make to satisfy my creative uh, needs? Or is it a game that is to, uh, to create a successful commercial project? <laughs> I think it could be either, you know, whichever you want to do. I think like, um, so like from a creative perspective, like one of the games that really inspired me is like in the games I look at, I was like, I wish I designed this um, as papers, please. Mm-hmm. I love like uh, what Lucas Pope did with this game is that like he created a game in which like your decisions had some strong weight. And, um, you know, the, the, the narrative is mostly told through the mechanics. And I genuinely enjoy that. So uh, if I were to make a game, I'll probably want to make a game in which like uh, there's a big weight on player choice and player choice informs uh, the narrative of what the game is. So that the narrative is actually also completely uh, personal to you as the player. So another g- example of a game that also inspires me, and I constantly say this is one of the best games I've played, uh, is a game called This War of Mine. Mm. Um, and uh, in that game as well, it's, um, there's a lot of narrative that goes by through the decisions you need to make. So um, you're, uh, you're in the shed and you have one of your teammates is sick and you need the medicine. So you can either you know, go out and steal the medicine from these elderly people and then you'll definitely risk their lives. Or you can choose not to do that and then you risk the life of your uh, teammate. Or you can try to steal it from this ultra high security location in which you can get shot in yourself. And then um, there's a gameplay implication in each one of these uh, choices. Yeah. And uh, when the narrative unfolds, it's a narrative that you shaped yourself. So if the old people died, then you kind of did that. Or if you did something <laughs> about it and your friend and your friend died, you kind of did that. Or if you successfully pulled the heist and like managed to get the best possible outcome, um, then you kind of did that too. And it feels differently, like a, like a bigger emotional weight because you made those decisions yourself. Yeah. And I'm uh, very interested in making... Um, uh, games that like highlight these narrative uh, choices based on uh, mechanical uh, choices that play me. Yeah, I I find those are, are so interesting. Um, I started playing Baldur's Gate three. It, it's out in like early alpha now, um, but uh, apparently there's a lot of. I haven't gotten too far into it, but there's a lot of like 
you make a decision and you do something and it can just have rapid effects on everything else that you're doing. It's a Larian so. game, so that doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, <laughs> I played Divinity uh, 2, Original Sin 2. Oh yeah, I, I love that game. A hell and, of a game. And it's the same thing. Like you can choose to like, I'm not going to explore this corner of the map and you've lost an entire character with a story arc. <laughs> like there's a skill about talking to animals. I'm not going to level that up. And there's all these other stories that you're never going to see because you can't talk to pigs. Or yep. <laughs> it's um, uh, that studio is, is something else. Yeah. Or if you play with a buddy who likes to uh, pickpocket everyone and is really bad at it, you can end up having a lot of angry people on your hands. <laughs> totally. Total. Multiplayer in that game, like, um, that changes things drastically, right? Oh, and yeah. you, you, know, you could have conflicting uh, goals and, uh, yeah, you get to know who your friends are, really. <laughs> So, you know, if you were to like make this game or even just in general, you know, when you're, you know, concepting a game, do you think someone should try to start with a game that they love or a game that they think their players will love? I think um, I kind of touched on that earlier um, in two ways. When, when I first told you about, you know, we're designing games for others, like really change the way. Mm -hmm. And then even when you asked me what kind of games would you want to make, my question was like, do I want to make a game for me or do I want to make a game that's a commercial success? But I also meant by that is that I don't want to make a game that's um, mass market to, uh, towards a target audience specifically. Yeah. So um, at the end of the day, like um, if you're making a game for people to enjoy, then you need to think of those people. And... Um, depending on the segment that you're targeting or the number of the type of people that you want to uh, please, then you need to think of those people as you're making those games for. Uh, one of the games I worked on early in my career, I made a My Little Pony game. And I, I knew nothing about the show or the series, but then I realized that there's a huge uh, uh, fandom around it. Yeah. So in order for me to really do the game justice, I needed to be a fan myself. So, you know, watched everything around the show, played all the games, uh, registered uh, to Equestria Daily forums, um, uh, uh, went into uh, Brony meetups, the, the works. I needed to know everything about uh, uh, that IP in order for me to do it justice, right? Yeah. That's awesome. So really just understanding your audience and what they want, how they play and engage with things. I love that. Love that. Cool. Here's a fun one. If you could have a new tool to help streamline your live ops that doesn't exist yet, what would it be? A new tool that would help me uh, streamline my live ops. It will be, I don't know, like some a, a magical AI powered tool that will allow me to create content really quickly. <laughs> Because like um, I think the the biggest challenge I would have with any live up schedule, regardless of the game size, is to um, is to keep up with the content production to fuel the schedule. Yeah, I've actually heard of that one before. Like some level of just you know, you you kind of put in like a, a bundle or something, and then it you know creatively behind the scenes grabs some stuff that looks good and and puts it together in a thing. And you know maybe you still need certain special custom-made looks for like holidays or something like that. But for your every regular day sales, like it seems like, great, right? it seems like something great. like that could exist. It, it seems like it does. I think like the problem with most procedural generation stuff is that they, they end up looking generic. 
Right, like rather you know, than like completely like custom made, handmade stuff. So like um, this magical tool can do both. Yeah, like, <laughs> I can wish for anything, right? <laughs> yeah, I remember I was I was playing around on Unity one time with some procedural generation, and I, I made a pretty cool world like about like a Skyrim style graphics and I made it you know pretty quickly and stuff but then you know wandering around the world it it just all looked the same (laughs) so not a lot of variety or depth to it but um, definitely pretty cool stuff tough balance to to hit (laughs) yeah cool well I know we're getting close to the end of our questions here and end of our time but I have uh, one last question that I like to ask because we are on the Mastering Retention podcast. What's okay. one tip or trick that you've learned over the years for helping to boost retention? The early game retention is that you really need to make sure that um, your game is bug-free and you have a very good uh, funnel, tutorial funnel to get the players onboarded. Medium to long-term retention map to medium to long-term player motivations and goals. Spend the time to understand what do players want to do long-term in your game. If you don't have any, then you're likely will not have good long-term retention. <laughs> if, you, if you have some, but not enough, then that means you know, that will drastically affect um, how longer people are going to stick to your game. Um, keep asking yourself, what do a player want to do in a week from now in this game? What do the players want to do in a month from now from this game? And if you have good answers to both of these questions, then you're likely to have good retention numbers. That is a great answer. I love that. I don't think a lot of people focus on that. So that is fantastic. Have you ever used like surveys or how do you, how do you talk to players to like understand that? Well, like, I mean, first of all, if you're building the game yourself, um, you should be able to answer that as a designer. So we go like, <laughs> I'm making this game and I'm playing this game. Why am I? Why am I playing? Um, why am I, why, do, why would I keep on destroying these towers? What am I gonna get out of them? Oh, I'm gonna get new cards. Okay, and why do I want to get those new cards? Oh, because once you level up those cards, will allow you to unlock this other arena or like unlock mm. this. Other one. Okay, and what do I do then? Uh, when I do that, I will be, I'll be able to do this, this, and that. It's kind of like you know, uh, finding is what's the late game and what's the end game mm. um, that, that you know you're utilizing your mechanics to play. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. So if, if you can't answer those questions yourself as a developer, then you're unlikely to get an answer from your audience. <laughs> I love it. I think that's a, another one of the reasons why it's so important that you are always actively playing your you know, game as well so that you really understand like, what am I working towards? Where am I going? So that you can ask those questions. Right. Man. There's often like, you know, with most games that are popular, there's often like this item that everybody likes. And you go like, all right, so why do people like this? Or if the people like it a lot, how can this become an interesting uh, motivation uh, mechanic for people to want to get it or work for it or something like that? Um, if, if you can't experience the game from that point of view yourself, because like, well, it's just like everything else for me. It, it took me, according to my schedule, it took me the same amount of time to build it. <laughs> Um, so you can't see it yourself unless you're, you know, in the game playing. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you, uh, joining us today and and sharing such amazing, great insights. Um, I hope we will continue to see you as a dev hero in the future and then maybe have you even back on for a podcast episode in the future. So thank you so much and we'll talk soon.
Thanks a lot for having me, man. It was a blast. Thank you very much.